Welcome to the Dentistries for Kids podcast. We're Angelina and Cameron, and we love candy. Do you all love candy? We've learned how to enjoy all the candy we want without getting cavities or getting in trouble with our dentist. Want to learn our magic? Join us to discover how to enjoy sweets and have nice, bright, clean, shiny white teeth. Let's go. Welcome to the Dentistry for Kids. Today, we're honored to have a distinguished guest, Dr. James Ma. Dr. Ma is not just an esteemed educator, holding the position of interim dean of School of Dental Medicine at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, but he's also shaping the future of orthodontics as the program director in orthodontics at UNLV. His groundbreaking research in three-dimensional imaging and modeling has set new standards in diagnosis, treatment planning, and therapeutics, extending into the realms of anthropology and forensics. Dr. Ma's involvement in the development of cutting-edge dental technologies like 3D facial imaging devices, intraoral scanners, and CAD-CAM applications reflects his commitment to advancing the field of dentistry. Author of numerous publications, textbooks, and book chapters, Dr. Ma is sought after speaker both nationally and internationally. His expertise has been recognized by major media outlets like the Los Angeles Times, the National Post, and Men's Health, and he also plays a vital role in the academic community as a reviewer for prestigious dental journals. Please join in welcoming a true pioneer in the field of dental medicine and orthodontics, Dr. James Ma. We're thrilled to have him today. How are you feeling? Doing great. Well, thank you for that introduction. I know it's a mouthful, but yeah, years to do all that stuff, but I'm happy to be here. No, yeah, we're so excited to have you here. So Dr. Ma, how did you become interested in dentistry and what kind of led you to specialize in orthodontists? Well, dentistry was a good fit for me because throughout my childhood, I always liked to tinker. I did arts and craft things. I need, I like to work with my hands, work on projects. And while they started as simple projects, then I went on to, you know, build things like a homemade metal detector. I, I would do crafts items all the time. And I really like the connection of not just knowing what's going on, but actually being able to reduce it to practice and make something to actually make something with your own hands albeit some of them are very elementary, but then you advance on and you do some pretty complex things. It's a level of satisfaction that's really rewarding. Yeah, that sounds great. So is that kind of what inspired you to go into orthodontics too, that sort of artistic part? Yes, it's artistic. There's element of uh, creativity and innovation. I think you'll hear often that many of the professions, it's always about inventing a better mousetrap. If you know how it works and then you can approach it slightly different and keep improving it, that's how all of healthcare and society advance for, forward. Look no further than software or your own phone, right? It's always a constant evolution. Mm -hmm. No, yes, for sure. Thank you for sharing. And what kind of inspired you to take up like teaching at UNLV and particularly in the School of Dental Medicine? Yeah, UNLV, I thought was refreshing. I've been at age-old institutions, some that are <clears throat> over 400 years old, and some that are merely 200 years old. Mm -hmm. So I came to Nevada. I thought, well, Nevada, 1957, that's not old at all, right, compared <laughs> to the institutions. And we're starting a new dental school, and I saw a lot of opportunity. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm 
also much of a, a builder, an architect, a d- designer. I like to start new programs and projects. And like I said, they start off at some point really small, but at some point when you get to a higher level organization, I'm starting new educational programs uh, and new efforts and things like that, new research projects that you know play out over a, a series of years. But nevertheless, it's the same concept. You design a better mousetrap, you do it again and again, you make it better and better and the projects get more and more elaborate. Yes, that's great. No, thank you for sharing. And I know UNLV is known for its cleft palate specialty team. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, um, there's a the only one, the cleft palate craniofacial team, the only one in Nevada. And albeit in the uh, pandemic, it w- went on a bit of a hiatus. We're very much trying to resurrect that, get that going. There's um, uh, funds to uh, start a new clinic for it. But that's an element of our uh, of Nevada that's very much an area of unmet need. At present, right now, a lot of the uh, uh, infants that are affected with cleft palate, cleft lip, other craniofacial anomalies uh, have to go elsewhere for their care. We'd like to do more for them. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. And um, for some of the listeners that might not know what a cleft palate is, can you maybe like tell them probably in simple terms what it exactly is? Yeah, during a formation of the uh, human face, very early on, actually, it's if you think at the tissue and cellular level, things come together like building blocks. And one of the key building blocks is between the front of the lip and both sides. They come together uh, embryologically and they coalesce to form one continuous lip and one continuous palate. But for a number of reasons, for many individuals, and the incidence is, uh, you know, about one in uh, eight or nine hundred uh, infants. It doesn't come together quite right. I mean, everything else is normal, but that part, the cells just don't connect. And next thing you know, you have a gap that we call cleft in between, and it causes problems for food, you know, for eating, for swallowing, and speech. And uh, it's a very correctable problem, but it takes a lot of time. It takes a team. To correct because there's many aspects of it ranging from you know ear nose and throat speech therapy obviously the surgery plastic surgery dental orthodontic but it does take a team because it's uh, quite a complex uh, problem mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure and i know you do have some involvement in 3d imaging do you use that for the cleft palate treatments or yeah, 3D imaging is used now throughout dentistry. In fact, it's hard to find any aspect of dentistry that's been untouched by 3D imaging. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the the imaging that's provided uh, gives us a lot more information regarding the severity of the problem. It allows us to evaluate progress and also to look at continuing changes with growth and development. So it's an invaluable tool. Mm, that's great. Thank you. And then how do you use it for orthodontics? Orthodontics is, although it sounds simple, about moving teeth. Mm-hmm. It's complex in the way that there's always, almost always a challenge of trying to fit the teeth in when there's not enough space. And so the imaging allows us to define boundaries of where we can move teeth. Uh, obviously there's a limit, right? And for some reason that, you know, for some people, there's just not enough space and too many teeth. 
-hmm. And I think intuitively, you know what the solution is, right? It's yeah. like somebody's got to go. <laughs> and then that's why quite often uh, people end up with extractions of teeth to be able to fit the rest of the teeth in. But the 3D imaging helps us look at not only the space requirements, but look comprehensively at everything around the jaws, which includes the airway, mm -hmm. jaw function, uh, looking at the bony structures, and so forth. So the, there's a lot of other detailed information that 3D imaging provides. Ooh, this sounds very fun. Is there any tips that kids can use to sort of... I guess, like help their teeth or anything like that? I think it's the basics right now. I think it's really important to learn about uh, proper oral care. Another mm -hmm. key thing is habits. There's a lot of destructive habits people get into, you know, everything from the uh, nail biting to using their teeth as tools, <laughs> you know, to open things and so forth. Not to mention proper oral hygiene uh -huh. and, and, and even uh, doing normal things like I think most people play sports. Mm -hmm. It's really important. Uh, if you think about it, you're probably wearing uh, knee pads, elbow pads, a helmet. It's mm -hmm. also important to protect your teeth because if, some of those injuries can be um, quite extensive when teeth are damaged or if they're knocked out, not to mention the soft tissue cuts. So I think that's another thing is people have to have an awareness of all the things that happen around the teeth. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. So you would recommend kids like when they're doing activities that might damage their head, just to wear a helmet to protect kind of damage. Helmet and, and a mouth guard, you know, even something that you think is straightforward, like basketball, there's a lot of dental injuries in basketball. I mean, some of them are obvious, like football, especially if there's any sort of contact, right? But uh, lacrosse is another one. I mean, there's a lot of and hockey. Th those are, are obvious, but even some of the other sports, you wouldn't think, but there are, you know, head-to-head -head collisions in, say, soccer, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 It's fascinating how, like, our everyday life can just anything wrong that happens can just break our teeth so easily. So it's great that you're sharing this. Um, and then I know I was searching it up earlier, but you have some research with stem cells and tooth pulp. Could you maybe expand a little on that? Right. The stem cells, I think every uh, biology student knows at this time that stem cells hold the promise for all of healthcare because mm -hmm. stem cells are pluripotent. You can take a stem cell and get it to differentiate to any other type of cell, which means a nerve cell, muscle cell, and so forth. So people looking at all kinds of treatments are looking at stem cells to be able to rejuvenate and also to treat patients with a number of human uh, disorders and disease. Mm -hmm. But it came to us that, that, and it's a bit of a shame that we throw out stem cells all the time when they could be saved we throw them out when people go for orthodontic extractions. Mm -hmm. Almost nobody asked, to, hey, can I keep my tooth? <laughs> anybody ever asked that? <laughs> and if, you, if you were, how would you recover the stem cells? Because we know that inside the tooth, especially if you're a younger person with a very healthy tooth that needs to be extracted for crowding, mm -hmm. you might as well use it, right? So if you could open it up, take this 
stem cells out of it. And stem cells are found, there's a rich supply in the dental pulp. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a rich source, and yet we throw it out. So we started on this project of how do you recover you know, stem cells from the uh, from extracted teeth? And we develop ways because the problem is it's also very hard to get into the middle of a tooth because dental enamel is the hardest tissue uh, in, in, in biology. And so you have to find a way to crack it open. And hence, we developed what we call the Tooth Cracker 2000 very quickly, almost like a concept of a nutcracker open up fairly quickly because uh -huh. the stem cells have a viability, they have a lifespan, right? As soon as it's extracted, they're, they're disconnected from oxygen and things like that. So you've got to move fast to get viable cells. And so that was that effort and uh, it really paid off. No, yeah, it's great. And do you guys see yourself using it into the field of dentistry too, or just for- Oh yeah, because the pluripotent nature of- uh, stem cells, you can help rebuild uh, entire teeth, you can help rebuild soft tissue, bone, uh, muscle, all that stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So do you um, see this kind of going into the future of dentistry? Or do you think it's sort of this ongoing field that might not may or may not be implemented? Well, I, I think if you look at the uh, publications one thing you know to figure out if it's uh, really a, a thing or if it's a trend just look at the number of publications on stem cells over the years and you'll be quite surprised in the recent years there's been a spike in it there's no end to it the number of research labs and researchers throughout the world focusing on stem cells because they really believe that it's the future for all of medicine for all of longevity for much of human disease, for cancer treatment, uh, neurologic disorders, heart disease, mm -hmm. the secret is all gets back to the stem cell. Ooh, yeah, no, that's so interesting. Thank you for sharing. And I know throughout your career, you have so many milestones and achievements. What do you think are some of your most memorable ones? Oh gosh, uh, there's uh, it's a, it's a lot. I mean. Uh, throughout my education, I've worked in various uh, uh, areas of research. Um, you know, I did a, a doctorate in biochemistry. I look, looked at, hang on when I describe the project, uh, the role of a enzyme cofactor in mitochondrial electron transport and eukaryotic metabolism. That was the name of my doctorate dissertation. But through that, I ended up doing research in Parkinson's, toxicology, and so forth. And one of the uh, things that is predominant, not so much here, but very common out the East Coast, but it's coming here, is the effects of lead poisoning on uh, mitochondrial electron transport. Mm -hmm. In other words, while we know that, and you're too young to remember leaded gasoline and leaded paint, but nevertheless, there's tons of the leaded paint throughout uh, construction, particularly in East but lead is appearing in in, in common things, uh, household products, mm -hmm. um, even in age old, uh, if you have antique china, often mm -hmm. the very bright colors that are on the china contain high levels of lead, and mm -hmm. people don't know that. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, we did a lot of work on toxicology, and I was the one that found a way to reverse lead poisoning in mitochondria, it attacks mitochondria as one source, 
Mm-hmm. And I think it was memorable because I received a commendation from U.S. Congress for my work on mm-hmm. lead poisoning. And that was very early success, uh, but I, uh-huh. it's, it, it was uh, something that I see as a benchmark and really spurred me on for other kinds of research that made a significant contribution. Ooh, yeah, no, that's so great. And hopefully, hopefully it's not a big problem in Vegas going forward. But um, what are some of the measures you like give to kids to help kind of prevent lead poisoning? Oh, there, there's a lot. It Unfortunately, it's found in all kinds of household products. Mm-hmm. So the natural things uh, is, is, you know, don't chew on colored pencils and things like that. There, there are tests that people can, can do. A lot of the imported products uh, have high levels of lead. The lead is found in the brightly colored paints uh, that are used on wood and plastic products. Mm-hmm. So if you do a search about lead poisoning in Las Vegas, you're actually going to see a rise uh, in lead poisoning because it's coming away uh, not by the traditional route of leaded gasoline and leaded paint, mm-hmm. but it's coming into um, the environment by consumer products. Oh, okay. Yeah, this includes some no-name lipsticks and cosmetic products. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I see. So you would advise kids to do their research on some of the products? Yes, buying? yes. Know the brands, know who you're dealing with. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, thank you so much. And then uh, I'm going to recircle a little back to dentistry, but what are some of your philosophies in terms of like patient care? Listen, one of the first things is you got to make sure, you know, while you can do something at a very high level, the patients don't know that. What patients want is they want to know that they're being heard, that somebody actually cares. I think that's the most important part is for patients to be on board with your treatment and to be seen with respect and be treated as an individual. I think that's the biggest number one tip. And I think Often we get into the details, right? Because I think a lot of the procedures, and maybe because many people are very detail-oriented, they focus on the detail when they should maybe slow down and look at everything holistically and say, okay, and explaining to people to communicate so everybody knows what's going on and then proceeding with uh, the the treatment. Mm, I see. No, thank you so much. And... um... You have all these different roles. So I'm just wondering, like, what's your secret to all these time management to be able to do everything at such a high level? Yeah, that that's, uh, I think, a, a really good question. I think above all, it, it's about organizations. It's not necessarily a lot of people, a lot of students have the misconception. It's all about late nighters. It's not. <laughs> you can't do late nighters for a whole career. It's not, that, that's not how it works. What you want to do is be organized and part of the organization to have schedules so you don't let things lapse. You got to just keep at certain things. If you look at things like learning to play an instrument or uh, being a an athlete, you, you can't crash and cram and be an athlete. Nobody decides, well, tomorrow I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to stay up all night. No, it's months of training. There's no other way. Right. And it's the same thing. I think if you organize with the schedule that you can continually dedicate 
and keep on things. I, I would say things are not necessarily really difficult. It's more about organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially oh, yes. when we learn. When we learn, much of what we learn is an acquired skill. And I always share with students, there's no Mozarts in dentistry. There's no six-year-old that knows how to do dentistry. It's all an acquired skill, right? Mm-hmm. So it's about practice. It's about a little bit about ego and trial and error. Know that you will fail. It's mm-hmm. trial and error. It's how you learn, right? Mm-hmm. But it's how you recover from the error and how you learn from it that matters. Mm, yes, for sure. So I guess when people do encounter failures, you would suggest them not to give up and just to keep going at it, right? Yeah, that's the learning process that's very expected. And it's not a criticism of their abilities or what, but it's how it happens. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, for sure. Thank you. And I know some of these listeners that are on here right now, they might be wondering, what are some of the steps to be a dentist? And how would you be a dentist? And what are the benefits of being a dentist? So could you maybe like briefly elaborate on that? There's a lot there. Um, obviously, the uh, educational background, you start with the, you know, pre-dent, pre-med courses, mm-hmm. and doing well in those. All the while, there's a number of organizations that you can connect with. There's uh, pre-dental societies, so you can work with like-minded people. And they talk about preparation, application strategies, how to write personal statements, and so forth to help out. Another advantage, especially if you're within reach of dentists, and I know you are, is to go and talk to dentists, go visit in their office, and ask yourself, is this the right fit for me? I do know people that said, well, you know, dentistry, it's it's wet, and there's, uh, I see blood, so I know an individual that went on to be a psychologist. There's not, nothing wrong with that, but it just wasn't a fit. So I think it's really important to have that exposure to the clinic and see what it's about, mm-hmm. especially the hands-on part. There are some people that just love to do things with their hands. Mm-hmm. Others don't. Um, key examples of people that do really well are people that have a background doing crafts and doing jewelry. A lot of the instruments, surprisingly, for making jewelry are the same as dental instruments. Really? Yes. Same pliers, same wires, uh, all that stuff. Another thing is uh, some people don't like the, uh, some people are people, you know, love working with people and others not so much. Mm-hmm. You very much, have, if you're going to be a dentist, you have to be a people person and have a bit of background and, you know, a little bit of uh, hospitality experience. And I've always said the people that have worked in uh, the food industry generally do really well in practice management. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Because they have had exposure dealing with the public and the public, like I said, not everybody's the same, but you have to have this aptitude for liking to work with people. Mm-hmm. No, yes, for sure. Thank you for sharing. And if they want to learn more, are there any books that you would suggest them to read or anything like that? I would say the strongest connection is the, through these organizations where, mm-hmm. like I said, they're pre-dental students that will give them the most information. There's didactic material that's found in textbooks, but not so much. Uh, I mean, there's Facebook groups on pre-dental and so forth. But I think uh, having the 
group around you, the people that uh, talk to you about your schedule, you know, the ones that keep you honest, right? Those are the ones that are, are important. Oh, okay. I see. No, thank you so much. And then I guess, what advice would you offer parents for maintaining their children's um, dental health? A number of things. One is the just the education on oral care. They can come by a lot of schools. School mm -hmm. districts are great at providing, you know, the proper dental care instructions. The other one is to, even if you think there's no problem, go to a dentist on a regular basis. If nothing's wrong, the visits are straightforward and easy and a nice experience. I think a lot of people love the experience when they have a perfectly good checkup and mm -hmm. have a cleaning and their teeth feel so shiny and smooth. That's a great feeling rather than wait until there's a problem, something hurts. And that's the first encounter with a dentist. That's not necessarily the best experience to start off with. Oh, no. Yes, for sure. No, thank you for sharing that. And before we end, is there anything you would like to say or you think that is important to emphasize? Yeah, I would say that dentistry is has evolved and continues to evolve as very much a technology-oriented profession. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned a lot of the, the value of hand skills, but by the same token, having computer skills and a digital acumen will get a long way. Much of the latest things that we talk about, we already talked about 3D imaging, but the ability to do 3D printing, mm -hmm. the CAD CAM milling, all that is digital. So it's really important that people, uh, intraoral scanners, another example, just as an aside, uh, we did a study, uh, just for background, intraoral scanners are basically compact video cameras that are configured to fit inside somebody's mouth. The video camera takes a series of images that are then rendered by the computer into a 3D model. Mm -hmm. And quite often, and that replaces the impression material mm -hmm. process. And we did a study to see if a layperson could do this themselves, oh. right? Because you can't go wrong. If you had to, you could stop and then you re restart it. Uh -huh. Video, right? And if you had to swallow or move your mouth a certain way, but there's a lot of latitude. So we asked ourselves, wait a minute, can somebody do this themselves? And uh -huh. we did that study and we found out, in fact, compared to trained staff members, there's a group, there's a segment of the population on the first time they scan themselves better than our trained assistants and faster. And you, so you're crying and asking, who is this person? What are, how do they do that? Well, that demographic was the video gamer. Really? Gamers could pick up an intro scanner, scan their own teeth better than a trained professional. First time. So I found that really enlightening. I think that's a statement of the future of dentistry. There's a lot going on. And the more digital acumen that you have and capability, you're going to be catapulted into a, a, a different uh, level. Oh, that's really interesting. Wait, actually, I, I actually didn't know that. Um, So would you suggest like some of these kids when they're pursuing college level education to take up like computer science. At... Yes. Having some digital acumen about by no means suggesting that you should play video games 24 hours a day and become a hermit. 
and have a bad diet. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that having a digital ability and acumen uh -huh. is going to be really important. Oh, I see. No, thank you so much for sharing. That's actually really great. Um, but we're so glad to have you here today. And um, that'll be it for our podcast today. Thank you Wonderful. so much. All right. Anytime. Thank you for listening to the Dentistry for Kids podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share with a family member or friend. Make sure to like and subscribe to our channel too. Help us complete our mission to see bright smiles from all around the world. Thank you.